Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this is our companion episode for Hope for Tomorrow, episode 15 of season six of Supergirl. And the topic for our episode is self-control, which is a familiar concept to Alex and Kara. Yeah, in a way. (laughs) They often use self-control and also encourage others to do the same in sometimes not healthy ways, in particular around like not losing their family or losing the things that they love. Mm. Yeah, like to hold on to that. Yes, And so because of how rooted these traits are in their childhood and adolescent experiences after Kara was adopted, Alex adopting Esme is bringing these tendencies to the surface. Mm. Yeah. And it was nice how this episode circled back to some things we saw in season four, actually, Mm. because we also saw in season four when Alex came back home after her potential adoption fell through that all of her emotional associations between wanting to be an adoptive parent and then having grown up with an adopted sister were so interconnected and strong that her memories of Kara started to crack through the mind wipe, which should Mm -hmm. not have been possible. Mm -hmm. But Alex didn't actually connect that those two things were so related for her in terms of the emotional trigger of becoming a parent and then having lived with an adopted sibling until Kelly pointed it out to her Mm -hmm. (laughs) in in episode 421. Yeah. So it was kind of neat to see that same combination of experiences for Alex combining in this way here. Yeah. And she similarly is not necessarily clocking that that is what is happening. No. (laughs) (laughs) And this is also relevant in terms of how we're seeing these identity related themes come into focus for the end of the story of Supergirl around like adoption, self-control and those themes in particular with Alex and Kara. But to, you know, look at Alex closer in this episode, we see her push Esme past her comfort zone in order to sort of find that self-control with her powers. So the way Alex behaved in this episode was by turns amusing and like almost painful to watch. Uh, (laughs) It was kind of fun, though, because they did portray Alex as an adult who's maybe we know she likes kids a lot, but she didn't ever that we know of babysit to the same extent that Kara did. And she definitely hasn't had a profession where she spent time around kids like Kelly does. Mm. And so... That showed in some of her choices. (laughs) And a lot of adults who are not familiar with how to interact with kids and who don't do it all the time will end up, for example, presenting them with choices or giving them responsibilities that are too advanced cognitively Mm -hmm. because most adults spend the majority of their time around other adults who, in theory, are capable of (laughs) rational decision making In a way that little kids are not. And so we see in the episode, you know, Alex is understandably nervous when Esme arrives, which is fine. But then (laughs) she starts mentioning kind of too many things that they can change in the room and and just starts listing like literally everything Uh, (laughs) until Kara cuts her off and is like, hey, she's got it enough. Like, (laughs) you know, she's five. Like chill Um, (laughs) yeah and then later in the episode when they're trying to work on the powers and stuff Alex ends up asking Esme to try some things that are cognitively or emotionally just beyond her reach for as young as she is Mm -hmm. for example the Kaluan quantum mechanics (laughs) just because Esme has the ability to try 
And this is something that you actually see fairly often with like gifted children in real life, for example. Mm. And alien abilities are kind of like that in a way because Mm -hmm. they are an enhanced ability to do something beyond what the average person can do. And it's kind of fun to see that and then also think back to Kara because very young Kara would often try to push herself to take on these kind of more advanced and mature emotional or mental burdens because she was already in her early teens when she arrived on Earth Mm -hmm. and she thought she was ready for that in a way very typical of young adolescents who are like, I'm an adult. (laughs) And it was then up to the Danvers parents as the adults in the situation to recognize that and then try to keep her within the bounds of age appropriate levels of complexity or difficulty, mm-hmm. much to Kara's consternation sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but on the flip side, we also know that both Danvers parents would sometimes push Alex to take on cognitive or emotional tasks that were too advanced for where she was at, you know, 14, 15, 16, and that she struggled with that for a long time. And it's had a longstanding impact on her behavior and who she is. Yeah. So Alex has <laughs> quite a few pretty personally specific reasons for making this mistake with Esme, where she's requesting a level of self-control that is, you know, outside of her like comfort zone or capability. Mm. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because to think back on the idea of alien powers seeming a little bit like giftedness in a non-alien situation, (laughs) Alex's frame of reference for what a child might be capable of is a little skewed uh, (laughs) from being Kara's sister and growing up in that house. And there's a few different things that kind of go into that. We have Kara who... Even from pretty much the moment she was adopted, was like, please give me all the responsibility and let me do all the things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she was also just super eager to use her powers because her parents had told her that she would have them, that they would be special. Mm -hmm. And she would try to use them whenever she got the chance, sometimes to Alex's dismay, such as in gym class when Kara would blatantly cheat. At rope climbing. (laughs) Cheat, she says. It's her natural ability. That's true. All right. She didn't even pretend. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's an Alex worry as well. All right. Okay. You You make a fair point. But also, we saw even at that young of an age, Kara would try to cope with her own trauma in this specific way of, I want to help others. You know, I survived all of these things. And I want to pass that on and give back. Mm -hmm. And part of that also is connected then to her religion on Krypton, as we've talked about a bunch, but also from that value system where she was raised in a culture that emphasized connection to other people. Mm -hmm. Esme, however, uh, (laughs) is not at a developmental stage where she, number one, can even articulate how she feels super well Mm. even to herself like she's still at a stage where she's learning the words for emotions and she doesn't have the breadth of life experience and the practice of you know i'm just gonna push through and keep going with all these very big challenging things yeah it's a pretty big request of her right away 
all at once as opposed to maybe if she even at the same age were like trying a little bit by little bit. Mm. Yeah. And the other piece there, too, is I don't know if Alex even realizes that she's almost replicating her own dynamic with Eliza, where she's almost setting Esme up to be afraid to disappoint her Mm. because she's asking for so much so quickly. Mm-hmm. But the other piece of it, too, is that Esme is coming into this family with very different emotional baggage in some ways than Kara. We don't quite know what happened that led her to be orphaned. But we also know she has very different expectations or understanding of her powers. They feel scary to her. They feel big in a way where Kara was not intimidated by having her powers to the same degree. And she doesn't seem excited by them in the way that Kara sometimes would as a little kid. And also, Esme is very afraid of rejection in a different way than Kara. Yeah. Kara, it's not top of mind in the same way for Kara. The first thing in her head is like, I have this mission. She's also, you know, 13 when she lands. So Yeah. Well, but also, too, you know, the Danvers are the first people that she is placed with, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like once she's there, they're never letting go. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, correct. But, you know, Esme's been through at least two or three of these bounce back, you know, oh, you're too difficult. Mm-hmm. You're too this situations Mm -hmm. and she's little so and you can tell by the way you know she talks about it like she apologizes for using her powers and meanwhile it's a thing that you know put her in danger yeah (laughs) and speaking of other reasons that alex is making this big request of esme is that she's afraid she will put herself in danger Mm -hmm. because of her powers and that is very much a thing that was drilled into alex and car's heads when they were growing up like the idea that if Kara uses her powers at the wrong time or, you know, in too big a way, then, you know, Kara will be taken away. Yeah. Well, there's also the physical danger aspect of mm-hmm. it. You know, you think to my favorite little moment from Midvale with the heat vision <laughs> where, you know, yeah. Alex just finds it annoying, even though it's deadly. And <laughs> Kara's, I think, mindful of that because she's older enough to understand the ramifications of it, which we will talk about more. Mm -hmm. But with Esme, it's like she just knows that scary things happen to her and she doesn't know how to control them. Mm -hmm. Right. And from Alex's point of view, there's also the minor detail of getting her whole family to be able to like interact safely. (laughs) Because when John appears, if Esme can't control phasing powers, that dangerous thing could happen again with Kara. Her powers are, you know, powerful. (laughs) Yeah. And she's got a whole collection. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That could put her in danger. That could put anyone else in range who is vulnerable to that kind of thing in danger. It could also expose that Kara's Supergirl. Yeah, that's also true. Because there's only two, three aliens on the whole planet who have those powers. Mm. People start to think that she's like a little Kryptonian. (gasps) That would actually be kind of amazing. (laughs) And then there is just the very central to Alex's character matter of her consistently holding herself (laughs) to impossible standards. Kelly said in this episode, no one tells you how being a mom brings up all your past struggles. And then Alex adds, yeah, or your worst insecurities, (laughs) which is... Yeah, that's legit. (laughs) (laughs) And the situation very much reminds me of, kind of like you said earlier, with Alex maybe unintentionally replicating some of the struggles she had with Eliza. The conversation that they had in Livewire in season one Mm. on the couch when Eliza was like, you, you're my daughter, Alex. I wanted you to be better than me, which definitely contributed to Alex's perfectionism. Mm. Yeah. But it's also that element that Eliza says a minute beforehand, she lost everything. I didn't know how to do anything but accept her, referring to Kara. The choice was informed by what Eliza thought that their different needs were. Yeah. 
And that is the place that Alex needed to grow in this episode, sort of recognizing that Esme's needs were different than what her expectations of those mm. needs were. Not that Eliza got it right all of the time. Obviously, they did have Which, no. some ramifications. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, yeah, and that was something Alex and Kelly even talked about in this episode. Right, exactly. And for Alex, ultimately, the reasons that she controls herself in the many ways that she does, like suppressing her needs, maybe not saying what she wants for herself and the ways that she tries to get Kara to do the same self-control but in a different way of like mm. suppressing her identity as an alien you know not using her powers at the wrong time etc and the way that she is currently trying to get Esme to control herself with being able to control her powers but also in like pushing past being uncomfortable or being stressed it's all because she doesn't want to lose them mm, yeah she doesn't want bad things to happen to her loved ones. And that is, you know, that primary drive within Alex consistently. Yes. So then, you know, because she holds herself to that standard and has those issues around perfectionism and that tendency toward self-control to an extreme, she takes the parenting mistake that she makes in this episode hard. Yeah. So here, self-control to Alex becomes like never making mistakes as a parent. Yeah, which is just an extension of her feeling like she should never make mistakes generally, generally yeah. <laughs> which we've seen is her thing it's right. not necessarily that her family told her that she couldn't mm, quite but ultimately alex you know when she does recognize the mistake she and kelly use the truth seeker to talk to esme which was a fun little sneak in of a past season thing yeah and speaking of sneaking in fun things from past seasons mm -hmm. the use of a piece of music from the score, I think, says a lot about what the scene means for Alex as a character and means about like parenting and family. The piece of music is Having a Good Sister from the season three episode Midvale, when Alex and Kara at the end of the episode were standing on the balcony and talking to each other. And like reflecting on their childhood a little bit. Yeah. And the piece of music, Having a Good Sister, is named that way as a kind of answer to the promise that teen Alex made in an earlier scene in the episode, which was, I've never had a sister. I promise I'll get better at it. But what makes the Midvale porch scene an example of Alex, you know, becoming a good sister or being a good sister isn't that she like figured out how to be perfect <laughs> and how to not make mistakes. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like that she figured out how to never hurt Kara because, you know, she just had that pretty like messy, hurtful exchange with with Kara the night before, where she's yeah, like, yes. are you better? Yeah, the best line. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Alex is a good sister here because she's trying and she's growing. And it reminds me a lot of the concept of good enough parenting that we've talked about before, mm, yeah. where it's not necessary to be perfect. A study on secure base provision found that babies learned their mothers were providing a secure base when mothers responded properly, which was soothing an infant until they were calm, at least 50% of the time. Which, which I said to you was like, you know, the odds of flipping a coin and calling <laughs> heads. Like, that's... 
That's such low stakes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And parents were understandably sort of relieved to, to hear this. But of course, for Alex, like when Kara was trapped in the Phantom Zone, she wants to get it right, right away. <laughs> and she sees not doing so as a reflection on who she is, that sort of failure. Yeah. And she puts this pressure on herself because she sees that her own family has gotten it right as mm. far as managing this whole adoptive sibling relationship and the parent-child piece of it and everything. Mm -hmm. But in looking at the ways they got it right, she's looking at the good parts and ignoring that there's work to get to the good parts. Right. In kind of the same way that Kara throughout this episode is focusing on, let's talk about all the good things, all the good things, without maybe recognizing all the other pieces that she's overlooking. Mm. And with Alex, she's looking at the end result, which is the good stuff, without looking at the hard work. Right. And some of the false starts that they had. I mean, we've talked about this before. If you watch the beginning of season one, you're like, oh, wow. Kara <laughs> and Alex versus now. My, yeah. And the nice thing about the use of the score, the having a good sister from the Midvale episode, is that that moment in season three was a testament to the growth that Alex and Kara have made mm -hmm. since the first moment Kara arrived toward accepting each other as family. And it also was a way of acknowledging the growth they've had in their respective relationships with Eliza, who was prominent in that episode as well. And we had heard Kara mention her in this season as well. Mm. And then Kelly relayed that great anecdote <laughs> <laughs> when Alex was like, oh, my mom got everything so right as the adopted one. And Kelly was like, no, she didn't. And you know that. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> Kelly is the like ever rational, you know, yeah, <laughs> chipping away at Alex's you hear overly high yeah. expectations. Yeah. Um, mm. But Alex kind of sets herself up with the assumption that she has to get everything right with Esme from the start or there's like no hope for them to survive <laughs> as a family. Mm. But like it literally took years for Kara to fully integrate into the Danvers family, in part because she wasn't ready to accept that she was part of it. Mm -hmm. And also just in part because there was friction there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And even now, Kara and Alex and Eliza still have their ups and downs a little bit because that's just normal. Like <laughs> every family has that. Yes. And in terms of parenting and, you know, this ideal that Alex probably has <laughs> of like being a little bit the perfect parent that she sees Eliza as, <laughs> but always immediately like exactly matching your kid's needs may actually be worse <laughs> than making mm -hmm. some mistakes. Yeah. So according to developmental psychologist Ed Tronick, small exposures to the micro stress of unpleasant feelings followed by the pleasant feelings that accompany repair or coming back together mm. are what give them, being children, manageable practice in keeping their boat afloat when the waters are choppy mm. <laughs> in a fitting cat grant level <laughs> yes. water metaphor, water metaphor yes. which is kind of funny because it's literally talking about the opposite of like helicopter parenting. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Which is when you like micromanage your child's wants and needs so much that they don't know how to cope with mm. needs, maybe even temporarily not being met or having a setback of any kind. Right. Yeah. Then they also develop anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we've talked about before with like Kara, how she has turned her adversity into a resource of hope and a sort of trust that things will be okay. Of course, it also resulted that adversity in abandonment issues and like feeling the weight mm -hmm. of the world on her shoulders every minute mm -hmm. of every day. Yeah. But 
manageable levels of adversity give children the chance to develop skills and to like learn to trust their abilities, yeah. trust other people, <laughs> which this idea mentioned in the quote I read of repair is essential with regard to parent-child relationships. Repair is the part that comes after an interpersonal conflict and reestablishes that bond. And it's basically what <laughs> creates trust in a relationship in a long-term and lasting way. Mm, yeah. Say, you know, with Eliza and Alex, we see them repair in the live wire scene that we mentioned earlier in a way that demonstrates their ability to heal and grow with each other in a way that probably reinforced Alex's belief that, you know, that relationship was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, contrastingly, Alex never got that repair in a significant way with Jeremiah. Mm, and yeah. we saw her grapple with the sort of loss and grief around that specifically in season five. Mm, yeah. And also, if you want to think about that, Kara never really got that with her parents because she went through the realization of like all the faults that they had after mm. she'd lost them. And even though she sort of gotten them both back, none of that's ever really been dealt with. Yeah, not in a deep way. Yeah. And in the, you know, having a good sister scene in Midvale, repair is what is happening there, basically, because they had that big fight the night before. Yeah. And they were also going through some conflict in the flashbacks. <laughs> and they came to a similar conclusion where they repaired their relationship and grew closer. And Alex says in the porch scene, after Kenny, that's when I realized that you and I could get through anything together. And that was referring to external hardships, like, you know, the fact that the sheriff was about to murder Alex, for one. <laughs> Investigating a murder. <laughs> yes. Or the loss of Kenny, you know. Mm. But also just the difficulties that they have, you know, being sisters and having conflict with each other. There was a trust built after that point. So then in this episode, when Alex messes up with Esme and then repairs with her, she is actually beginning to teach her that when things get hard and stuff falls apart between them, they will come back together. They will repair, mm -hmm. which is the essence of being like securely attached in attachment theory. It means that you feel like you can always come back home to that secure base, which is the exact thing that Esme is struggling with, mm. going from being abandoned several times and feeling like she's never going to have a home or have that family that she can come back to. Here we see her be at sort of an inflection point where in her mind she thinks she's going away now. And then she learns, no, this was hard, but I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> this is where I live now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all in forever. Yeah. That's yes. very Alex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so the use of the score is interesting because to me it signifies that, you know, this is what it means to be a good sister and to be a good parent and to have a good family. It takes time to sort of get better at it, as Alex says in Midvale. But Alex is also starting to at least understand that fact. She says to Esme when she and Kelly are putting her to bed, but we also know we didn't solve everything. Gasp, an acknowledgement of imperfection <laughs> that exists in the world. Wow. And so in the scene where the score plays, Alex and Kelly give a little speech to Esme, which I find it fitting that Alex's version of a sort of recurring hope speech <laughs> is <laughs> in the same vein of this, like letting go of self-control and embracing the ways that she's not perfect in one way or another and sort mm. of embracing her identity. 
And it's specifically to someone personally. Yeah. Which is a nice contrast with Kara. Yes. <laughs> like when Alex says her speech to Kara in the pilot episode through the door, or when she talks to Maggie for the first time about being gay, when she talks to Kara about wanting to have children, that realization, when she talks to Jean about leaving the DEO in order to pursue a family. And now we see with Esme, she is admitting this sort of imperfection and and being vulnerable in that way. And the words of the speech are interesting, specifically with the score playing over it, because it's another signifier that there's a connection to Alex and Kara and Kara and the Danvers family. It's pretty obviously written to be related to that and related to what Alex learned from her relationship with Kara. Mm. They say, like, we're never ever going to send you away, even if your powers get big and confusing, even if you never want to use your powers again. We're going to grow together. You're going to make some mistakes and we're going to make mistakes. I made mistakes earlier today, but we're going to learn from one another. And the most important thing through it all, we'll do it together, which is, you know, high key, stronger together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fact that it is very much connected to that story of Kara coming into the Danvers family is reinforced by Esme's response of, I had a family before, but bad things happened to them and I was alone, which is, you know, related to <laughs> Kara's struggle this season. But apart from that literal connection to Kara as a character and her growth over the years, it's coming around to one of the core messages of the show, Stronger Together, but in a very specific, like, found family way, where, number one, it's okay that we are different from each other and we butt heads and you don't have to control your identity or humanity so tightly that there is no friction, which is something that Alex and Kara both struggle with. Mm. And then two, just that, you know, you don't have to be alone anymore. We've got you. Mm -hmm. Which is fun in the context of Kara expressing that same struggle earlier this season. Mm, Yes. And it all, you know, connects to something hologram Kara expressed (laughs) earlier this season with regard to Alex. Like, family isn't about blood or last names. It's about the people who love you for who you are and stand by you no matter what. Yeah. And so obviously talking about Alex and this whole adoption adventure that she's Hmm. jumped into, we (laughs) then should probably take a look at Kara being the original adopted member of the Danvers clan. (laughs) Yes. Kara, for her part in this episode of you know, dealing with (laughs) self-control. She very much wants to push through, as Alex says to Esme, to stop Nixley, which, you know, has been Kara's mood for several episodes now and is generally a classic Kara mood. (laughs) But where for the past two episodes, Kara has been unable to focus on anything other than like the bad (laughs) or the sort of pressing danger. This episode, Kara is leaning into another method of self-control for herself and for others, which is seeing the good. She, in the first scene of the episode, it already sets us up to see this within Kara and how she goes a little bit overboard with the stuffed animals. (laughs) Gets every stuffed animal and blanket Eliza ever got me to make me feel more comfortable when I first landed. Okay, but that's also really cute because then they're like family hand-me-downs, which (laughs) Kara doesn't have any. So it's extra sweet. Yes. I mean, she's valid. (laughs) Yeah. But we also see Kara like focus on the happy parts of powers in a, again, reasonable way where she's like, people might think heat vision is scary. But let me tell you a secret. It really comes in handy when you want to make a cup of hot chocolate. And she talks about the sound of a butterfly flapping its wings, which was wonderful. (laughs) Yes. 
But then when Esme gets overwhelmed, Kara says to Lena, it was awful, the fear in her eyes, only hearing this frightening, horrible stuff. So she's very like focused on the idea that Esme was only able to access the horrible stuff and was missing out on the other stuff. And we see that same mindset in the reporting aspect of the episode where Kara says to Andrea, like, if we only report on the negative stuff, then people will start to see and believe that the world is worse than it actually is. You know, good things are happening, etc. And Lena sets Kara up to attempt to win the hope totem through reporting by saying, like, it's people like Kara that help frame the news in a way that makes it not scary and helps get the message out. It's very much around framing and perspective mm. and making Making it not scary, like the heat vision, as opposed to, you know, maybe sort of dealing with the negative parts of it and, and processing them. And and for Kara, like letting go in that self-control way where she's allowed to access those difficult parts of her experience. Hmm. And we see sort of a clue, I think, that she's not <laughs> coping as well as she may seem in this episode when, you know, she's like, please tell me you two have some good news to Brainy and Lena. And when they don't, Kara's body language becomes very, like, defeated. Mm. There's a weight of the world there, <laughs> once again. In a similar way, body language-wise, that we saw in the episode with the courage totem, when, you know, like, there's, like, lightning flashing at the window and Kara's just kind of holding holding the totem and like angsting over her ability to fix the problem. So for Kara, we see she's quite a resilient character and we've talked about this a mm -hmm. lot. Yeah. She's also very good at the part of hope that is perspective based, like framing things in positive ways. Yeah. And, you know, as we talked about, I think in the episode where we talked about Kara in depth as a character and as a hero, that can be really valuable because it gives mm -hmm. you the courage to, you know, go on and do very difficult things. Mm -hmm. But it was really interesting, actually, in the scene where Kara shares some of her powers with Esme, because it gave us a glimpse that we haven't seen in a very long time of what the world is like for Kara all of the time mm -hmm. in the way that we see Esme getting overwhelmed by like all these very distracting sounds that are maybe ambiguous or scary. And mm -hmm. so people don't realize, and it's kind of fun to actually also have Alex then in that scene, not knowing what on earth they're experiencing and mm -hmm. just kind of trying to watch their faces for the reaction. Yeah, because she's like been there her whole earth life, but she still does not have like that intimate access to that experience. Yeah. And so to kind of get a glimpse of what Kara's day to day is like, where she has to filter through so much sensory information, things that are just loud, like the construction noise, mm -hmm. things that are genuinely scary, mm -hmm. things that maybe overstep the bounds of other people's privacy. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, Kara, and this is where we've talked about the way that Kara makes choices is heroic in a sense, because Kara is choosing to focus on those nice things, because otherwise... The sheer weight of all those other bad things would just become completely overwhelming. And I think back to, you know, her saying that she has to push down that feeling that something bad is going to happen just to get out of bed. Right. Yeah. It also actually it just reminded me, too, of the story of Pandora's box, actually, <laughs> because you have all the bad things that get out and then hope is what's left. Right. Ah, Cara. But, you know. 
Kara, for all that she is obviously resilient and, and hopeful as a character, she is typically able to cope with things pretty well, especially given the scale of them. But we also see that she is resistant to change mm-hmm. and, you know, can sometimes get stuck <laughs> like she did in the prom flashbacks. And she's pretty good with this in a broad way, but she can sometimes miss the part of hope that is positive change with regard to herself. Mm. Yeah. And in making steps to change the level of happiness she is experiencing within the world. And she's also just generally not a fan of admitting when she's having these <laughs> big, difficult emotions. No. <laughs> which then makes it harder to like address those feelings properly and get help for them, for instance. And then on top of that, as much as Carr is trying to see the good in the world, she's also super hard on herself. <laughs> yeah. And it was interesting in this episode, Kara said, you know, I can't afford to try and fail. Mm -hmm. And that's been the undercurrent of Kara's inner conflict ever since they faced the first totem, the courage totem. And she hasn't said it out loud to people in that way. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of the first time she said it to someone else, but it doesn't seem like anyone's listening yet Mm -hmm. in the way of like, oh, hey, (laughs) we got to see what's going on there. Like, obviously, her friends and her family know something's off, but I liked the way that she articulated that because it did make me think back to Kara's struggle in season three and the warning she got from Jinda Kalraz about wavering or being indecisive when she knows deep down what is the right thing to do. And it's not that Kara doesn't have a sense of how to proceed, because we see very clearly with these totems that she does, but Mm -hmm. she keeps holding back out of fear, Mm -hmm. which is why it's fun then that the courage totem's effect is to, like, magnify fear. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Mm. So interesting. But also, and this connects a little bit, the Kara stuff with the Alex and Esme stuff is just because of how powerful Kara is. She's like hyper aware that failing can have very big consequences for her and for everyone around her in a way that doesn't really apply to people in normal situations. Because for her, even a normal situation where she makes a little mistake could have catastrophic consequences. Like when she talks about going to a school dance in middle school and accidentally breaking her date's foot, like, you know, just because she was nervous and she stepped wrong. (laughs) Yeah. That's awful. You know? (laughs) Yeah. And then she's, she's dealing with that every day in every situation. And then now this is like the super high stakes, like world yeah. ending bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. like <laughs> a, a fair bit. And we talked about like with Alex, with parenting, it's healthy and good to like make some level of mistakes. And Kara definitely does not feel she has that leeway. And in some mm. ways she's right. Yeah. And then the struggle of the character is finding like where it's okay for her to like do what she wants. And the ultimate lesson that she's sort of slowly approaching is that in many ways she is allowed to be like unhappy and and a mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And not better. And then ultimately sort of that piece where she wants to be just Kara. Mm. And it connects back to that having a good sister scene of like Kara saying, I am getting better. Sorry, I haven't shown it. Maybe if I had, you'd have more hope right now. And feeling even there, that sense of responsibility of like, I can't make mistakes. (laughs) I have to inspire everyone else's emotions (laughs) for their mental health. Like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kara, you were going through a time and it, it's all right. Like, <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, Alex says you're here right now. That's all I really need. And, you know, there it is. The thesis of the show. So. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> and then kind of to round out our family discussion for this mm-hmm. episode, we are going to circle back around to Kelly, who is a little bit connected to what's going on with Kara, but then also explicitly connected to what's happening with Alex and Esme. So. Yes. So with regard to self-control, Kelly's interesting. We talked about in the companion episode for Blind Spots Visibility, how Kelly likes to have control over her own emotions, especially around like fear of abandonment stemming from that foundational experience when she was left alone at her father's funeral Mm. and her brother never showed and her mom was like inaccessible emotionally. And that sort of message there is I'm alone to deal with these huge like emotions. And we see this core traumatic event manifest in Kelly in, for example, season five, when Kelly witnessed Alex almost die in the line of duty, like her fiance died in the line of duty. And Kelly tried to get rid of the problem (laughs) in a sort of practical way, (laughs) (laughs) as opposed to like working through the difficult feelings where she basically was like, I'm going to break up with you, Alex. That is the irrational thing to do because we have irreconcilable differences. And so she has that trouble with dealing with her big emotions and facing them directly as opposed to maybe coming up with a practical solution that is not actually as practical as it seems. But we also know that Kelly helps other people deal with their emotions like all the time, sometimes to a fault, like when, you know, Malefic mm, impersonated yeah. her friend in season five. Yet here, despite recognizing on some level what Esme is concerned about, given her, you know, you're not in trouble that she says to Esme, Kelly doesn't immediately address it and doesn't make plans to address it over a period of time either. And we see Kelly continually frame Esme's fears to be related to this sort of big event of getting stuck in the wall. And she says, like, Mm. I know what happened earlier must have been scary. And there's that, again, emphasis on, like, fear and, like, perception of whether or not something is scary or positive. And we see Kelly want to sort of skip past this period of repair in terms of Esme's interpersonal relationships with parental figures and get right to the like part where she's giving her everything she's ever missed in her life. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and Kelly assigns Alex with the sort of project of providing Esme with the kind of practical solution that Kelly might use to avoid her own emotional reactions as opposed to facing them head on, which is Esme learning control or self-control with her powers. And the only other time that we've seen Kelly hesitate to help someone address a hard emotional struggle was in season four, when helping James meant addressing Kelly's own very personal trauma. And it was sort of a a flight reaction, kind of like she had with Alex in season five. So the way that she is interacting with Esme and, and dealing with her difficult emotions is related to her own difficult emotions around being abandoned and alone to face the world. Like Kelly says, no one tells you how being a mom brings up all of your past struggles. Those are her past struggles. Mm, Yeah. So the part of it that is addressing, oh, Esme has abandonment issues. (laughs) This is the message that we need to give her. It's hard for Kelly, but she ultimately recognizes what is happening and says, I wanted it to be about her powers because that would have been an easier fix. But it's not about that. It's us. Mm. And she, you know, confronts the hard emotions and, and like, we want you to work through all the feelings you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the the dream we want for all of these characters. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
And so that wraps up our thoughts on this kind of bigger topic of self-control and how it relates to some of the major characters in this episode. Mm -hmm. But we do, of course, have our collection of other observations (laughs) and fun thoughts. And so number one on my list is Esme's delighted realization that Kara and Supergirl are one and the same, (laughs) which was great because the five-year-old in my life absolutely would have put that together. (laughs) (laughs) But the part about it that I liked the most was that Alex introduces Jean and tells Esme he's an alien, but she does not mention that Kara is. Mm. And Esme just noticed it instinctually on her own, which says that maybe she knows a little bit about her powers, (laughs) Yeah, which I liked. Which is also sort of a fun thing in terms of Kara passing as a human. Yeah, that maybe she doesn't do it as often as she thinks. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Interesting. But that was just very cute also for the the reactions from both Connor and Alex. Like, oh, I guess this is a conversation we should have thought about. (laughs) (laughs) They were not prepared to on day one. Yeah. But like, I'm really excited to see kind of what comes of that, if anything, because it could Mm. be cute. And then speaking of things that were cute, besides all of Esme's everything, we also had her room, which the decorating was amazing. So like props to the set dressers for all of that. It was like so perfectly adorable with like the space themed, all the furniture and all Mm -hmm. the the everything and like the rainbows and the sunshine. (laughs) Yeah. Sunshine pillows. And then also the giant, beautiful mural. (laughs) (laughs) So number one, apparently Alex has secret talents that we didn't know about (laughs) and number two i loved the little incorporation of jean mentioning that that was like a martian tradition and that his dad had done one for his daughters and so Mm -hmm. he was there helping alex do one for esme that was just like the cutest freaking thing (laughs) yeah and in terms of cute adoption things i suppose There's a fun beat where Lena witnesses Kara and Alex be sisters who like help each other and who are going to go help little Esme. And Lena smiles and says, Elmayara. And it's significant in the way that A, Lena is seeing like a nice family, (laughs) both with like them being siblings who get along. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. But also in the way that's like taking care of a girl around the same age that Lena was when she was adopted. Mm. And and knowing that she'll be actually well looked after. (laughs) Yeah. And then be the recognition that Lena is like in the group now. She's a part of it. Whereas we've seen her sort of longingly look (laughs) at Alex and Cara's relationship and the ways that she's missed that family element in her life. We're seeing her embrace it in a nice way. Mm, Yeah. And actually, if you want to think about for contrast, if you think back to the flashback where we saw Lena get brought into the Luthers, she had the backpack and the little her stuffed animal that her mom then like made fun of in the meanest way in season five and was like, it was cute and useless. And then Lena walks in and she gets immediately thrown into this like creepy (laughs) set of mind games where like (laughs) Lillian's testing her and like Lex is like, here, play chess with me. Mm. And then you contrast that to the amount of just like nervous, genuine, excited energy Mm. that there was on the part of the whole of Alex and and Kelly's family for bringing Esme in and appreciating the things that she's bringing with her and accepting them for what they are. And, you know, compare that to Lillian being like... 
oh, I guess maybe you are a Luther when she shows that she's impressive, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which is also interesting because in this episode, we saw the use of a truth seeker where... Mm. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Alex yeah. and Kelly are saying, like, you're with us for forever. <laughs> yep. And we're always going to be here for you. Lillian, when the truth seeker was used on her, said, I love you. And then was like, there. Ruined it immediately. (laughs) You've gotten me to say it. Like, it's this, like, horrible thing that she had to admit. So, yeah, different experiences. (laughs) Very different, yeah. Which is why it was nice then as a growth moment for Lena to go from all these, like, sad, longing looks from the outside at, like, Mm -hmm. the Danvers family to feeling like, oh, this is nice and, like, I feel like I'm connected to it. Yeah. It's moving from the part of it that is grief to the part of it that is, like, healing. And then, I guess, related in a way to <laughs> Lena things, I'm going to shout out the uh, beautiful Hunger Games <laughs> reference in this episode <laughs> with the uh, special gift to Nixley dropping down from a little parachute in the sky <laughs> with a letter from her uh, secret admirer. Who could it be, I wonder? Who hmm. could it be? It's Kara. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely Kara. They're like not emotion. Game. They're not connected by the emotional bond anymore. So Kara's sending like, her I love letters. <laughs> check yes to be my date to prom. Like, yeah, Lex sends like a check yes if you <laughs> like me, but there's no no option. <laughs> that sounds right. Honestly, it would have two different check yeses with like different <laughs> actually, different flavors. That's of actually yes. better. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> And then kind of last big thought for the week. We've mentioned this a little bit in the last episode or two, but it became a little bit more obvious this week as the storyline has gone on a little bit. But like this episode has been entertaining and this whole season has been largely entertaining. But even the stuff in this episode that should have been really big emotional beats for characters where it was like the realization of something that a character's wanted for a long time felt a little bit just perfunctory or kind of like box checking. Just because of the pacing that they need to do in order to accomplish all of the things that they need to accomplish in such a short span of time. Mm-hmm. And this tends to happen every season. It's it's not unique to this season, even though there were a lot of logistical hurdles this year. Mm-hmm. But kind of like every year when they transition from Act 2 to Act 3 of the story, there's like a little bit of drag where they lose the character-driven piece of it. Mm-hmm. But it just for it being the final season, it's a little bit disappointing that that has never been corrected. Mm-hmm. And just because it is so focused on plot and lining up plot points to, to kind of all come together instead of really focusing on the character work or even more explicitly on self-reflection about the show and what mm. it means in terms of, you know, the closing of the whole series. Like, I get that their time is very limited and possibly even more limited than they thought it would be before mm. the pandemic set in. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of storylines that need closure. But like that in and of itself also speaks to just a bigger kind of weakness in the show running because there's there's just too many characters <laughs> and the stories have not consistently been juggled or balanced well from season to season. Like this season, they've finally gotten on the ball about doing a more traditional kind of rotation of the ensemble and giving everybody mm-hmm. a chance to be in the center But in previous seasons, it was like, we're going to do all the things and have like <laughs> a million tiny storylines. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece that's been 
like a little bit of a detriment is the use of like a theme word or like two words to just define the trajectory of the season rather than using like a character growth goal or, you know, you're having your elevator pitch sentence be like, where do I want my lead to grow or, you know, what's happening for them as a person? Well, I I feel like it's been better this season in that sense with the power theme. I think they get bogged down in some of the the plotty parts of it. But I do think it came from a place of like this would work with the stuff like our, our characters need to happen and stuff we would like to explore plot wise and message wise. No, I agree. It's definitely better than like last seasons, for example. Right. And I think part of it is just like you mentioned, the the slump <laughs> that tends yeah. to happen around this time. You know, we'll see how the season progresses. And with that in mind, if things do progress the way that they usually do, we should have some more fulfilling episodes ahead. We had yes. some fulfilling ones earlier in the season, mm-hmm. even if there was less maybe car than we would like because of obviously the logistical like scheduling obstacles that come hand in hand with like life in this time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I'm sure that's, you know, affected a lot of things in terms of this season and, and yeah. having characters interact in different combinations for different reasons. Yeah. And that can't be helped. Like that that's obvious. <laughs> like it <laughs> yes. that is what it is and the cast has even expressed already, you know, that that was unfortunate because they couldn't have as many real farewells as they maybe would have mm-hmm. liked. But I am ready for their thing they do every year where they throw in a bonus villain in the third <laughs> act. Um, at least this year, it's one that we already know. So it's not like a stranger that we have no investment in. Indeed. <laughs> so this week actually should be hopefully an exciting one because we're getting a closure on a storyline from season four that has been <gasps> lingering. Mm. So that should be fun. This this week's episode is called Nightmare in National City. And I believe it also is supposed to have some like journalism stuff for Kara, which is always exciting because <laughs> she and Andrea arguing with each other has been a secret delight. <laughs> yes, I want more of those <laughs> of two. <laughs> yeah. The two of them and William actually has been really funny to watch them kind of play <laughs> off of each other. Yeah. <laughs> so if you have any questions or comments for us, you can send them to supergirlsaddict at Twitter, Tumblr or Instagram. And thanks for listening. 